the world really feels like it's going to shit these days. I mean, which is fair, because in a lot of ways it is. But is it really the worst world out there? Or are there others that are so, so much worse? I mean, could it be better? Well, luckily for us, writers and artists have been asking that exact question for literal millennia. Dystopias and utopias are common in our little fictional worlds, but how do you do it? Not, not like make one in real life. How do you write these settings? And why does it feel like there's so many more dystopias floating around out there? This week on Why Are You Talking About This? Nerd. Welcome to another episode of Wait Hat Nerd. This time I'll be your guide through the crazy world of Topias. But before I do that, I would like to thank you for listening to the show despite it consistently being put out late. Look, I apologize, I but I am always busy and there's not enough time in the week to do what I want to do. I mean also I'm neurodig and also I'm neurodivergent as fuck, so I have executive dysfunction like a motherfucker. Whenever I have the opportunity to work on things. Uh, regardless, it means the world to me to have my words dripping to your ears like our, like your at Guantanamo Bay being peacefully detained for the crime of looking vaguely not white. Uh, but anyways, we definitely don't live in a dystopia. But anyways, make sure to send in recommended topics for episode 20, which is coming up in, I mean, what the fuck, like three weeks? Or less, depending on when exactly this comes out. Uh, again, sorry about that, by the way. Uh, I needed to take a few days off, and then when I came back, I didn't really have enough time to work on both episodes. Um, but I am also looking into things to add on to the show to help it spread around after episode 20, so that this can kind of become my full-time gig, and you know, I'll have more time to uh, work on episodes and have, like, a work-life balance that doesn't make me want to die. Um, but I'm also thinking about adding something to the show about maybe every 20 episodes, so send in some ideas for that. Um, also, continue to like, review, share, and comment, uh, on the show and wherever it is you can find it, and, hey, if your friend listens to the show and you tell me about it, I'll send you a, uh, um, a, uh, look, I'll just send you a free picture of my entire dick in- Okay, so this week we're talking about topias. You know, utopia, dystopia, weetopia. 
But what exactly is that? Well, as a word, it just means place in ancient Greek. And this is not only a medical term, but it's also a philosophical term, and it's also a writing term. And while we're not really going to talk about the medical term, we will be talking about the philosophy and writing. In that context, it means an extreme or ideally designed society. And most commonly, this is in two types. The first is utopia. Utopias are places that are ideal and perfect in respect to politics, law, custom, and conditions. Which isn't the thing that exists in the real world, but it is a common thought experiment in the field of philosophy to try to imagine the perfect place while also tearing down other people's ideals of an ideal society. You know, to reach truth. It's also a common goal of a lot of political philosophies, since, you know, obviously the only thing stopping us from having a perfect world is the government. Uh, however, utopias are also relatively common in fiction. And luckily for us, in fiction, there's some common elements of types you see. And those four types are paradise, external alteration, internal alteration, and the technological transformation. Uh, for paradises, they're a perfect society because, put simply, they aren't where we are. Which, holy, holy shit, that's pessimistic. Uh, external and internal alterations are basically that through some form of change, and either the form of the previous regime toppling, or aliens coming in and changing it, or, you know, revolutionaries being right for once and actually making a perfect society, or through pure fucking spite, we made the world a better place. Uh, in this case, society is now perfect after an event or a series of events. And finally, the technological transformation which is essentially the entire uh, weakness of my flesh meme, but instead of being a horrific 40k body horror nightmare, is actually pretty fucking sweet. The first of the common elements is a promotion of information, independent thinking, and freedom. Which, I think you already see why this is an impossible thing. Because when given freedom, some people just really turn into fucking assholes. Like, I want you to imagine if we lived in a society with 100% freedom and, inf and information transparency that values independent thinking, but also, your racist uncle lives there. Is that a perfect society now? Do you like that society now? Okay, second is that there's a figurehead or core concept that brings society together, but how is up to interpretation, and it also isn't your only choice. It's just the most popular one that kind of binds society together. You know, kumbaya and all that bullshit. Third, citizens are truly free to independent thought. You don't get to cheat the system by not educating your people by choice. You have to let them have independent thoughts. Fourth, citizens don't fear the outside world, which, again, kind of hard to do with humans, because in addition to being assholes at the drop of a hat, we're also anxiety monkeys. So, saying we live without one of the four core emotions, uh, fear, rage, manic, and horny, is a big ask. Fifth, the people live in harmony, which, again, eh, hard to do. Sixth, the natural world is revered and embraced. Basically, look outside of all the things that we do to the world and reverse it. Seventh, citizens embrace the ideals of the society and morality, but individuality and innovation are still welcome. Which, 
Again, sounds like wanting to have your cake and eat ass, too. I mean, it's probably not going to happen unless you really don't mind the taste of ass in your cake or cake in your ass. The taste of cake in your ass. The taste of cake while you're... the. Oh, sorry, I started thinking about eating ass. Anyways, uh, finally, society evolves to maintain its utopic state, which, again, holy shit, that's difficult. But, I mean, you can see why this is so often relegated to fiction, right? I mean, utopias are a pain in the ass to imagine without almost immediately slipping into, well, fine, I guess I'll take my ball and go home, which in this case is reinventing fascism, but with the in-group of people that you like. Okay, so with dystopias, these are places where humanity is heavily oppressed, and people live fearful, often dehumanized lives, and are faced with totalitarian governments and severe environmental catastrophes and disasters. And compared to utopias, this form of society, initially a satire of utopias, is fairly common in fiction. And much like utopias, it has basically the same four types. First is the hell. Basically, this place sucks ass and always has and can only exist because we wouldn't have stood for getting this bad, which is surprisingly hopeful. There's also the same internal alter there are also the same internal external alterations with basically the idea being that either something came from the ether to fuck society in the face or we all just started being a bunch of scum sucking low lives that society collapsed and now the new one is the fucking worst. And again, technological transformation where through technology's new heights we have somehow found a way to make humanity fall to new depths. Like the uh, automated uh, masturbation machines, um, where the VR porn is an anime girl giving you a handjob. That is humanity reaching new depths. And not because that's, like, perverse. I think we've reached new depths, because why would you set the entire thing up and then have it be a handjob? No, 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 no. Don't, don't, ins- don't. Make fun of me for being for being weird. I want you to think about that. If you have gotten to the point where you're making a masturbation machine, why is it the only function it has is hand job? Why have you not gone farther? Anyways. <laughs> Anyways, unlike utopias, there are nine common elements of dystopias. First is the heavy use of propaganda in essentially all parts of life which might start giving you a tickle in the back of the brain, because that feels familiar. Second is that all information, thought, and freedom are either heavily censored or heavily restricted. And I can I can feel you fighting that conspiracy theorist inside of you. Third is that figurehead or concept is centrally worshipped. And yep, you are feeling it now, Mr. Krabs. Fourth, citizens are under constant surveillance. And fifth, citizens fear the outside world. And now you're starting to believe in the possibilities, huh? Sixth, humans live dehumanized lives where they're treated as cogs in the machine or numbers in a data sheet. And seventh, the natural world is destroyed, exploited, or mistrusted. And now I can feel the panic coming on. And you you better go get that red string before you have a panic attack. Eighth, citizens conform to uniform expectations and individuality is bad. And now you have Facebook open screaming about vaccines and how they're trying to pump you full of the devil's cum. And finally, ninth, society is an illusion of utopia. And stop. 
Stop. Hold up a second. This this isn't real either. Dystopias don't happen. Well, sure, this podcast certainly feels dystopic and Oh. Oh. Oh, you're talking about the modern world? Jesus. No, you fucking idiot. Yes, the modern world sucks. Yes, we're all going to die and it's not even going to be in the fun way. Yes, most governments are totalitarian in some form or are heavily authoritarian with very little freedoms. And yes, I hate it, but it's not dystopian. We live in a pre-dystopia. You know, when things are getting bad, but you can still say that without getting one of those bolt guns that use the kill cows to the back of the head, or the front of the head, or straight to the dick. I mean, it may sound like we're close, but dystopia is actually just as hard to achieve in real life as a utopia. Why? Well, because two of the four base human emotions, manic and horny, are anathema to dystopia. Sure, you can use fear and rage to create something like fascism, but human beings in general don't like rules and also love to rub our genitals on anything that looks vaguely like we could either fit our genitals into it or it inside of our genitals. I mean, kind of hard to maintain a dystopian nightmare when that is the reality of us anxiety monkeys, right? I mean, also, added on to that, another base-ish human emotion, pretty close to base human emotion, is curiosity. Do you really think that you could uh, effectively censor an entire society that hard to create dystopia? Probably not. But all that being said, these aren't the only kinds of topia. Because topia simply means an extreme place. So you can basically mash a word onto it and create any kind of society. You know, like an autopia, a place perfectly designed for vehicles. You know, like American cities, but with adequate parking. Or an ecotopia, which is ecologically ideal, and it's opposite, an industrial utopia, which is industrially ideal. And both of those are the opposite of an autotopia. Because, holy shit, are cars ineffective for everything. Or a subtopia, which is a perfect suburb. That's the only place that works well with an autopia. There's also gaytopias, ameritopias, privatopias, cybertopias, and sextopias. And yes, that one is exactly what it sounds. But in addition to these, there are also pornotopias, romantotopias, and intimatopias. And these are worlds that serve as ideal settings for their root word. In pornotopias, for example, everyone is very, very hot and is also always willing to have random, unprotected sex whenever and wherever you want, oftentimes with lead-ins that are uh, horrific uh, in various ways. In romantotopias, they're perfectly built for romantic relationships. You know, like how people never fucking stink or shit. Um, and also, people are never just dickheads for no reason to their loved ones, because uh, that doesn't happen in real life. <laughs> okay, but anyways, uh, intimate, uh, intimate, it sounds like intimidatopia, but it's intimatopias are settings designed for sexual and emotionally intimate relationships. So, like, Kind of like a mixture between the two. Uh, but there are also three others that you'll, you'll 
see more often, and these are cacotopias, heterotopias, and palantopias. A cacotopia are dystopias where no one is having fun as everyone is suffering. See, in a dystopia, usually people on high levels of government are at least having a little bit of fun. Even if it's like sadistic, I want to watch the poor people rip each other apart kind of fun, they're still enjoying themselves. In a cacotopia, no one is having fun with any part of this situation, and everyone hates it, even the people in charge. Uh, heterotopias are not places for heterosexual people, that's the real world, are worlds within worlds. And palantopias are worlds that are quote-unquote backwards, but are ideal societies. You know, like people who uh, romanticize things like the Stone Age, and are like, oh, this is how humans are supposed to be, and everything was perfect, and then they kind of, uh, well, then they very conveniently forget that, uh, you know, disease was a thing, and also, you know, sometimes things would just rip your organs out of your body, and, like, the fuck are you supposed to do then? There's no medicine. But, basically, you can take just about anything and make a topia out of it, so just go crazy. But, first, let's talk about the history. We begin in 449 to 431 BC with the Greek Golden Age, which was a time of relative peace between Greece and Persia. And this is when the idea of utopia begins to take off as big, dumb Greek assholes start debating in what way the world can improve. And one of the most popular would be Plato's Republic, written in 375 BC, which is all about Plato's philosophy of what a just man and society looks like. And while today a lot of people read this and go, nah, this kind of sucks. For its day, it was pretty utopian. And 15 years later, he would follow this up with his story of Atlantis, a fictional and allegorical fake city-state because people are dumb and think it's real. But I digress. Atlantis was a utopian society that was a massive naval power. Mind you, 10,000 years before 375 B.C., which is just about uh, 2,000 years away from uh, either when we domesticated pigs for the first time or the first time humans ever killed each other in a war. But sure, they're a massive naval power. Uh, But they came to fuck up Athens about about 8,000 years before it existed, and they got their asses kicked so hard that Poseidon looked at them got mad and said, wow, cringe, and sunk them to the bottom of the ocean, killing every Atlantean in existence. Oh, also, the entire thing was a massive propaganda piece that Plato wrote about why Athens is the best and Sparta can suck its collective cock. Uh, <laughs> which Sparta did not take as an insult until they said, in the bottom way, and then, then it was fucking on. They were throwing fists to cuffs. Um, but from there, we actually skip ahead to the Middle Ages, when, in addition to the idea of heaven, which was utopia all on its own, the people of the Middle Ages also began talking about the idea of the land of milk and honey, 
places where things are plentiful and pull and full of pleasure and leisure entirely without the harshness of medieval life. Which, if that sounds kind of sad, I mean, yeah, it is. But, that's also the modern world. I mean, think for a second. They really don't necessarily want to just not work anymore. What they wanted was a world where after they get done working their reasonably length amount of time in a day, what we would call a shift, you know, compared to, at times, their entire day being work, and other times only a handful of hours, to go into their nice, warm, secure, well-lit house to watch internet pornography, eat more food from more corners of the world than they could ever imagine even existed, and then sleep in a warm, comfortable bed next to someone that questionably is still in love with them. Which isn't to call all of you little shits and tell you to be grateful, it's to remind you the context is key with utopias and dystopias. Because today, a lot of us would say we're leaning towards the dystopia side. But for someone a few hundred to a few thousand years ago, oh man, we are living good. Like, think about it like this. Someone in the 1300s had to imagine what titties looked like. I'm sitting at a computer right now. If I wanted to, I could open up a new tab, type three letters, and just have a cornucopia of them. To that man, in that moment, where I am right now is utopia. (laughs) But then in 1516, we see the term utopia become popularized with the publishing of the book Utopia, written by Thomas More. And the socio-political satire takes a look at a fictional island nation and its customs through the lens of a traveler. And part of the reason why this book popped off is because of how close it was to a number of major events in the medieval world that that really felt like we were hitting the utopian vision of what things could be. Things like Columbus's first voyage, Finding Land, Martin Luther's 95 Theses, Michelangelo essentially just finished painting the Sistine Chapel, and Henry VII took the throne not too long after this. Not to mention the art movement of the Renaissance. And this book set off about a century of utopian writing. Such as Rebellius's book Pantagruel in 1532, which include the Expedition to Utopia, which parallels a lot of the book Utopia, and also nods to more in the travel narrative and the name of the inhabitants, the Amorites, being the name of the capital city in Moore's book. You know, or books like City of the Sun by Tommaso Campanella in 1623. Also, I'm going to apologize, I'm going to pronounce all these names like a white person. Uh, Christianopolis by Johann V. Andre in 1619, and New Atlantis by Sir Francis Bacon in 1624. I, I think, actually, to be fair, I should pronounce his name in the worst possible way I could. So, Sir Sir Francis Bacon Sir, Fra, Sir Francis Bacon uh, wrote the book in 1624. Uh, going into the 18th century, we have Jean Jacquet <laughs> Fuck, I hate French. <laughs> Sorry, it just occurred to me as I was trying to read this fucking guy's name. <laughs> ah, okay. We have 
Jean, 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 fuck me. <laughs> I'm gonna go off on a little bit of a tangent. Why the fuck do French people act like their language is easy is easy to pronounce? Do you do you under you? Oh. Anyways, Jean Jacques. Oh fuck. Okay. Jean-Jacques Rousseau, fuck, <laughs> a philosopher that further influences utopian writers uh, by the use of the idea of an Arcadian society, which was that humans existed within the utopian vision before we turned soy and civilized ourselves. Also, it was not worth all that trouble pronouncing his name just to say, yeah, this is the guy that said, like, the Stone Ages were better before we had medicine and also... Before we could punish murderers. Uh, <laughs> we were better before we turned soy. Um, but the combination of philosophy at the time, Christian doctrine, and utopian writing creates utopian communities across the U.S. in the 30s and 40s, in the, ni- in the 1830s and 40s, that were heavily influenced by this kind of writing and would serve to influence uh, writing of the future. Things like uh, Brook Farm, New Harmony, Oneida, the Shakers, uh, the Amana community, and the Hutterites. And some of those have survived to the modern day, and also some of those are well-known for various reasons to the modern day. In 1854, Henry David Thoreau writes Walden, which, in addition to inspiring my life goal of eventually owning land down the middle fucking nowhere and creating a self-sufficient little, like, witch farm garden, uh, also heavily inspired other utopian writers. In the 19th century, revolutionaries and writers like Karl Marx make utopian and dystopian writing a lot more political than it already was, which it was very political anyways. But by the close of the 19th century and into the 20th century, dystopia not only enters the scene, but also becomes incredibly popular. Why? Well, because of the industrializing horrors of their modern world, the increasingly political utopian stories became less and less popular because they didn't accurately capture the angst, and a lot of people with access to these writings were becoming disillusioned with the idea because they saw that a lot of shit was wrong with the world and understood that utopias were rarely, if ever, utopic for everyone. Um, Amongst the most popular at the time were Samuel Butler's Erewhon and Al- I always hate this guy's fucking name Aldous Huxley's Brave New World and also I read his book in high school if you've read the book and you're thinking wow they let you read that in high school uh-huh <laughs> they they didn't just let us they made us which is fucking wild, by the way, if you have not read that book. You should probably read that book. I'm going to warn you. Uh, there, who, um, there's, there's, there's things in that book that you are not going to like. Uh, man. Anyways, uh, we, we actually don't see much change until the almost modern times. With 1969, uh, Utopia, nice, uh, Utopias make a comeback with our favorite. Star Trek. See, unlike modern Star Trek, original Star Trek Human Society was basically 
a utopia. And a lot of its conflicts wasn't internal. It was moral quandaries about how to maintain your morals in scenarios that weren't conducive to it. And Star Trek brought back a sort and Star Trek brought back a short surge of utopic sci-fi fiction in addition to a resurgence in sci-fi in general. And that's basically the timeline. It was again another short one, but I don't think we needed an especially long one for this episode. I mean a lot of other tropes we use constantly. This was brought about because some dumb big Greek assholes at the time had time to sit around and talk while balls deep in a femboy. And boy, let's be real, if that isn't living the dream, I don't want to live anymore. Alright, so with all that context, what's the controversy around Topias? Well, uh, hate to break it to you. None? I mean, there's a... I mean, here's the thing. There's not really a controversy around them. I just wanted to talk about this. But also, there's just some misunderstandings. See, most people seem to assume that dystopias are getting pumped out like crazy because we're all angry, sad, pessimistic assholes that hate our grandparents and don't visit enough. And utopias are falling by the wayside because we're not optimistic enough and are pieces of shit that can't imagine a better life. And sure, we do have more dystopias than utopias. But why are we writing so many more dystopias? Well, it's twofold. First, it's because dystopias serve to remind us that things could always get worse. And while this sounds shitty and nihilistic, it's actually the opposite. Because again, the human brain is a monkey hopped up on methamphetamines and anxiety crashing around the walls of your head trying desperately to escape to the outside world that also scares the shit out of it. So it's a coping mechanism and a strategy to manage anxiety to be reminded that actually things could get worse, but they aren't, and hey, at least my life isn't that bad. Which is actually kind of optimistic in a dark way. And the other labia is that it's a lot easier to do social commentary in a dystopia because in general... Satire is very effective and easy when you make something exaggerated to the in-group that you're targeting. And when the in-group is your entire culture, dystopias tend to be fairly easy to write, especially during times of strife, and the conflict is universally understandable, and also everyone can agree, wow, this fucking sucks. And this makes it seem like the proliferation of dystopia makes it seem that people are becoming more pessimistic and fatalist. But this is really oversimplifying. Because here's the deal. Utopias are very hard to write. Especially if you're trying very hard to make things good for everyone. Because it's very, very difficult to conceive of. Especially because one person's utopia looks like another person's fascism. It looks like another person's dystopia. It looks like another person's, oh, you just mean what society looks like for me? Because it's hard to make everyone happy, but, you know, easy to make everyone sad. And utopian fiction is really helpful to mobilize action now, because it shows people what they could have. But it's not possible for a lot of people nowadays, so it doesn't feel hopeful. It feels soul-crushing. And that being said, there is a big push to create more. But, I mean, why does all of that matter? Let's talk about that.
Okay. So, again, we're going to break this in half, like uh, Slim Jim or a Kit Kat or what I want a very strong woman to do to me. Uh, dystopias matter because it lets people figure out and cap because it lets people figure out and conceptualize how they feel about the world and what they don't like about their situation or the world around them. It also challenges you to imagine how to do your part to avoid something like that happening in the future. And it can drive activism by galvanizing you into remembering that you can do something about the world being shitty. Even if it feels like you're being factory processed to be a miserable little cog in the machine, you can still stand up for yourself. Dystopias can also be calming because it lets you put a face to the existential fear that actually everything is always getting worse and everyone's going to die, but there's nothing you can do to fight back or run from it. Dystopian fiction basically gives us a target to start processing that fear and feeling better again against. And if there's someone not... And if your reader is someone not thinking about the issues with the world today, then dystopian fiction can get them into that mindset to start thinking about it, and maybe they'll notice and care enough to do something about it. And utopias are not the opposite in this sense, because... It lets us take a look at problems going on in the world, but instead of identifying them and giving us enough fear or hope to want to fight those issues, utopias work from the end point and go backwards. See, they give us an ideal to strive for and a thing we know that we want. And it's also an experiment in extremity that helps us to understand the drawbacks and unintended consequences of an extreme we thought was good. You know, like, sure, cum is great, but at some point you're going to sink in the cum rather than coming in the sink, you know? Now, while it can cause a lot of division between people, when you ask a group to imagine their utopia, you can also use it as a tool to build a shared ideal. Like, sure, maybe your entire group disagrees on the methodology of your perfect society to do it, but you all agree that a perfect society uses something ecologically and physiologically healthier than plastic. And, you know, you can kind of use that as, like, a building-off point. And utopias are exceptionally optimistic, meaning that we're able to think about shitty things like climate change and mass starvation and human trafficking, but from the perspective that there's a solution that we can find and work for, rather than just talking about how shitty everyone is. So, here's the takeaway. These are both exceptionally useful worlds to use because, while yes, they're interesting, they can also galvanize your audience. Meaning if you're a political writer, making a dystopian or utopian world can help to affect change, assuming it has a wide enough of an audience base. A well-written utopian, a well-written dystopias and utopias can give your audience an insight not only into how you wish the world was, or how you're afraid it's going to go, but can make them feel the same, or give them comfort from their anxieties, or get them involved in confronting that fear. When it's poorly written, however, you end up with one of the most bland and generic tropes you can imagine. Because one of humanity's oldest enemies is human-made institutions. So it's kind of played out to have your villain be a mustache-twirling dickhead in a designer suit with an army of faceless, well-armored goons and a harem. You need to make it more interesting. Yeah, like have your villain actually be the result of seven shamans putting their soul into one body or something that totally just came to me out of nowhere. So, let's talk about how to write these well. First of all, 40k. Before Games Workshop sends assassins and lawyers to my home address, 
and the homes of everyone within three degrees of relation to me. See, writing utopias are actually both easier and harder than you might think. Just think of a theme you want to explore and begin writing a world that's perfect for that theme. Like, for example, if you want to write a story about a world that treats queer people well, then you'd be making a gay-topia. So focus on the gay shit, and you don't necessarily need to focus on stuff like, well, how is there a Department of Agriculture? Because you and everyone else don't care. They just want to read the gay shit. Uh, except for the agricultural nerds, and they can either join us or they can get fucked. Um, and as you world build, you also need to consider the experience of the common person in the world or the thing of concern, making sure to address problems that crop up there. But finally, you need to understand that all places have drawbacks. So whenever you create your so whenever you create your utopia, remember that to someone it's dystopian. Like that gaytopia you're building? To homophobes, that's dystopian. Now, should you listen to them? No, because your utopia isn't made for them, and also they're assholes, so they can fuck themselves. But in this case, you can tell them to shut the fuck up and make your gay pat and make your gay paradise you fabulous fucking queer. Now, writing dystopias. Firstly, make sure to reflect present day anxieties. And this means both yours and culturally. Second, develop a strong point of view. Focus on a character with a strong personality, making comments and with beliefs that reflect your own in a way that gets the point of the story across. While sure, you don't necessarily need to make a self-insert, make sure the character has a worldview in line with the story's primary anxiety, and ensure your audience knows that. And also, don't worry about the suspension of disbelief nearly as much, and make sure to include a lot of satire and critique. Because dystopias, being generally pretty dour, weird, and extreme already, have a much higher suspension of disbelief, so you get a little... so you can get a little wacky on main. But also, since the beginning, most, if not all, dystopias are satires of some fucked up system that exists today. So make sure you understand and are clear on who you're criticizing. And finally, since almost every dystopia requires it, make sure your audience understands the mechanisms of control and the level to which the people have lost their individuality. Because if they don't understand it, then there's a good chance they'll stop believing that the government is actually all that powerful or even worse, that they're all that bad. Now finally, with dystopias, you need to make sure you work from a central theme. Kind of like what I said with the first point, but don't branch out in weird directions and confuse the story. Instead, find the thing that you're pissed about, and follow your story to where it takes you. And, uh, I mean, that's basically it. Let's get you home. Yeah, I, I know. No soapbox this time, but this might actually be one of those episodes that you need the least. Because while sure, maybe you find my rants entertaining, this episode didn't really make me feel angry or like hopeful or anything like unique to justify me soapboxing. I mean, it's more just cool to learn the exacts of a pair of genres I read all the time but did not know a fucking thing about. But anyways... 
Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast feed, like it, leave a review, whatever else it is you can do on your platform of choice. Send me an email at waytappods at gmail.com with questions, concerns, opinions, compliments, insults, um, actuallys, what you'd be doing in your own femboy-filled gaytopia, your favorite utopian or dystopian story I will harshly judge you for, and anything else you want to tell me. Also follow me on Twitter at waytat underscore pods. I do have a Facebook page, but holy shit, I have not updated that in a long time. Also remember to check out my other podcast, Waytat, where I talk about other things that actually legitimately make me angry. Alright, have a good night, have fun, keep writing, and remember, just like forest fires, only you can prevent fascism. This has been Why Aren't You Talking About This Nerd, and I've been your host, William. Good night.